turn your Bibles to Micah chapter 5. We're going to be working through one verse today, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. If this is your first time opening up a Bible, chapter 5 is the big number. So big number 5, verse 2 is the small number, verse 2. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's a black cover, cover Bible in front of you. Uh, it'll be on page 826. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Hear God's words. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. This is the word of the Lord. May the word of the Lord dwell richly within us. Let's pray. Father, we want a renewed sense of longing and desire for your coming. Lord, we want a renewed sense um, of the appreciation of the birth of Christ. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying. Give us faith, taste, and see that you are good and that your word is good. Lord, give us concentration and focus even in the midst of the chatter, the, the chatter of the children. Lord, we thank you that those are our opportunities to even think and focus and hear um, more concentratedly at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So in 2020 of October 2014, I probably heard one of the most difficult news I could ever hear. So my godmother, um, who's like a mother to me, uh, shared with me the gospel. Um, that's how I became a Christian. I grew up Buddhist. Um, I found out that she died of cancer on that day. And it was, it's just so difficult. I remember I just felt my stomach drop. I felt um, tears well up in my eyes. And I, 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 I felt hopeless in a sense and hopeful at the same time. I knew that my godmother loved the Lord. And there was hope in the midst of that. And so... When we pick up in Micah 5, chapter 2, there's a similar situation going on, right? Micah, this whole time, has been preaching about how judgment is coming, how, Israel, how Judah has screwed up, they've forsaken God, and they've instead chosen wealth, power, prosperity. They've forsaken God and chosen to worship idols. And Micah has been preaching four chapters on the judgment to come. You will be destroyed. Judah, it's over. It's done. You're done with the nations are going to come, and they're going to surround you and kill you. It's over, right? But we end up here in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and God is painting a picture of hope, even in the midst of despair. The main goal I have for you today, and I think the text presents, is hope in the one to come. Once again, the main goal Similar to what Judah needs to do is to hope in the one to come. So look down with me at verse 5 as we work our way through this text. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. So Bethlehem, Ephrathah, is the same place that King David was born. Now there's two Bethlehems. Um, in Israel's time, there was a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Bethlehem, there was a Bethlehem in the northern kingdom, and there's a Bethlehem in the southern kingdom. 
the Ephrathah here indicates that he's talking about Bethlehem in the southern kingdom, which, and this Bethlehem was small and it was weak. It was so small, in fact, that in Joshua 15, when the land was being allotted to the tribes of Judah, Bethlehem actually didn't appear in one of the 46 tribes. Yet, this one little town is where the one will come, where hope is found. Not in the powerful cities of Jerusalem, not in the military armies and the leaders of the day. No, all of the seemingly powerful people and the cities, all their hope that they found in their wealth and prosperity, all that will fail them. They will fall and they will be decimated. Rather, hope will come. The true ruler will come rather from a small, insignificant city in Bethlehem. And Matthew quotes this passage in Matthew 6, no, Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. Matthew shows that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Listen to what Matthew chapter 2 says. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Okay, so th th I don't know if you've noticed that, but there's a little difference here happening between Micah 5 and Matthew 2, right? Matthew says that Bethlehem is by no means small, while Micah is saying that Bethlehem is small. So how do we put these two things together? Well, they're, they're pretty much saying the same thing, right? Matthew is saying that Bethlehem is not small because someone is coming who will make it significant. Well, Micah doesn't have that vision yet, right? Bethlehem is small and unimpressive, but they are no longer small and impressive because Jesus, the Messiah, the ruler, the shepherd ruler will come and save his people. Does that make sense? So Bethlehem is small and impressive, but because of someone who's coming from it, it's no longer small and impressive. And that's what Matthew's picking up on. And that's why there's a seeming discrepancy there. You see, Jesus was not born in the major cities. He wasn't born into wealth and power. Yet Jesus is born into a small city, not in royalty. He didn't have an impressive form like Saul. Rather, he was born in a manger, the box where animals eat from. The king, the ruler, is born in a manger. I mean, Paul picks up on this idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18. Hear God's words. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is, his power, it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? Since, for since, in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greek seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are, who are called both Jews and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. 
Jesus is the one to come. Jesus is the one who came. And the way he comes contradicts human wisdom. Listen, if you're not a Christian today, this is the main message of Christianity. And it's the true message of Christmas. You and I have both wronged a holy God. God is love and God is holy. God in his holiness and love always punishes wrongdoing. You and I have disregarded God in our lives. And in so doing, we have sinned and wronged God. God always punishes sin. So there must be a punishment. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God sends Jesus to live the life you and I should have lived and paid the punishment you and I deserved on the cross. The only perfect one died on the cross for my sin and for your sin. Only if you would make him the Lord of your life. If you're not a Christian, God right now is calling you to turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. It is not by your own wisdom, might, or wealth. And if it's not by your, and it's not even by your own good works by which you are saved. You are only saved through receiving the free gift of Christ. Turn, put your faith in Jesus. So what does this mean for us Christians? God wants us to hope in the one to come. The first description of the one to come is that he will come from the small cities of Bethlehem. Let's, let's continue reading and we'll move on into the second description of the one to come. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. The one to come, his origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Now there's two ways we can take this passage. This may be talking about the fact that his origin was from ancient times in regards to Jesus being God, and therefore he's from ancient times. He was there in the beginning. Or his origin being from ancient times might be alluding to the fact that his origin or the idea that one will come who will rule started in the Davidic covenant and in the promise given to Judah in Genesis 49. Both of these are valid interpretations of this passage, and both of these are true in the Bible. I don't think that Micah understood that the one to come was going to be the second person of the Trinity. But with our understanding on this side of history, we know that this passage is talking about the Messiah. And we know that Jesus is the Messiah and he is God. I personally have a really slight leaning towards taking this passage to mean that Jesus' origin from ancient times, that, that interpretation, the, the one I personally agree with is more of the first one in the sense that he was there from the beginning, that he is God. Um, but whatever side you take this, we can wrap this up with the same conclusion. Um, Judah was called to hope in the one to come. This ruler to come, this one to come came not in glory, although he was from the beginning, but he actually emptied himself and took on human form. This one to come was born in a small and insignificant city. This one to come was born in a manger. This one to come grew in wisdom and stature and grew with favor with God and favor with others. He was in the temple learning. He took on flesh. This one to come fed 5,000, healed the sick, raised the dead, and this one to come had compassion on his sheep. He sympathized with his people. He was mocked by his people. He was betrayed by his people. All had abandoned him. Ultimately, in one sense, God abandoned him. 
God turned his face away from him. God poured out the fullness of his wrath on Jesus. The one to come, the ruler, the shepherd, the one from ancient times, bore the wrath of God on our behalf. And he rose again three days later, conquering sin and death. And he is coming. We are still hoping in the one to come. As a church, when we take communion tonight upstairs, we remember his death and his resurrection. And we also look forward to his coming until he comes. For when he comes, we will no longer need the cracker and the grape juice. For we will have Christ himself. We will see him as he is. No pain, no loneliness, no suffering. For the one came and the one is coming. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this short devotional. Thinking about the one to come. Thinking about how one came, how that one came, and how he, they were the hope for Judah. And now one is coming and, and he is the hope for our church. That even as we take the bread and even as we take the juice, we remember that Christ is returning and death will be no more. In Jesus' name, amen.